Hey everyone, on today's episode, Chase and I discuss kind of a hodgepodge of thoughts and ideas. It starts with talking about kind of the rainbow, why, and the aftermath of some of that. And then we get into kind of how we believe Harry Potter and other fantasy-themed stories are mainly for children. And it's kind of funny to see adults indulge as much as they do in all that. And then Chase brings up kind of an issue he has with pets being compared to children, stuff like that. Anyway, like I said, a little bit of a hodgepodge. Um, And then we kind of give a summation of thoughts on BYU basketball. Some Not really much there, but more kind of these major recruits coming to BYU football potentially that are in the that are in the transfer portal. Anyway, um, hope you enjoy this episode. On Thursday's episode, I'm going to be talking with a good friend of mine who grew up, uh, he, he, he still considers himself a member of the church. Um, he's openly homosexual. He grew up in Utah, and I just want to get his thoughts on kind of how he's dealt with that as being a member of the church and kind of the lifestyle that he's living now and how that all fits into everything and his thoughts specifically on BYU's reaction to the Rainbow Why, among other things, and we'll kind of get into a lot of different topics on that. I'm excited for that one to happen. I've already discussed our thoughts on that. At this point, it just comes to us getting together, recording it, and publishing it out on Thursday. Anyway, hope you enjoy today's episode, but get ready for Thursday. That one's going to be especially uh, interesting, I believe. That's one of my lyrics in the song. There couldn't be a, a prouder older brother than Carlino, me. a bounce to Haas. Haas posting up short corner right to the middle. Fades away. Get it! Gotta watch the three. When you do what's right on and off the field, uh, I, I think the Lord steps in and, and uh, plays, a, you know, plays a part in that. Magic happens. All right, Chase, we are back once again. Seems like a lot has happened this week, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm losing track of time, but it does seem that way. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I actually pulled up. Have you heard about that murder among the Mormons? I did hear about it. Netflix. But unfortunately, my parents canceled our Netflix subscription, and I'm too cheap to have my own, so have not had a chance oh, to watch it. You haven't grown up yet, huh? Nope. <laughs> Confession, I've been using my roommate from BYU. I've been using his uh, Netflix account since then. <laughs> he knows and it has not been like one of those things he doesn't know about he actually knows like he's changed his password a few times and he's like hey are you still on my account and i'm like i always tell him like yeah i'm and i'm like i'm willing to contribute as long as you like whatever like i don't, i'm fine and he's like no nah, whatever here's the new password <laughs> i'm like all right <laughs> works for me yeah well, anyway yeah so little, little little tangent there but um, I pulled it up today and I watched the first episode. Wildly interesting. I actually already kind of knew the story. Do you know much about the story with Mark Hoffman? He's the guy who like counterfeited the church or something with like false documents or something. Yeah, he was like kind of like this uh, historian type guy, um, and um, he was such a good forger that like he fooled a lot of people. They still think some of his stuff is actually out there too. Like potentially we don't know for sure but um the big thing kind of that set people back was the fact that he created this fake letter that supposedly joseph smith had written um i can't remember to who martin harris claims i think it was martin harris it was martin harris that claims like a salamander led him a white salamander led him to where the plates were buried and it essentially put into question kind of the whole origin of the book of mormon which is essentially the origin of the church Anyway, um, 
it was just kind of interesting how they they put it. They they like the from what I'm seeing so far, it certainly kind of paints the church itself under somewhat of a questionable light. Like there's there are um, allegations, so to speak, or I guess kind of it's kind of like this implicit. Uh, what's the word I want to say? Im, like implicit implicit pointing fingers, I guess that the church suppresses aspects of history um, and that they'll like buy things in order to like just kind of like tamp them down and never bring them up again. But a couple things there. If that were true about questionable documents and like how like there's a few of those things that the church may own that kind of throws their whole origin story or um, out of whack, then why? Well, I bet we would have heard of him if we heard about the salamander letter. Like... That one leaked, obviously, and so that one was such a big deal when it came out, so why wouldn't have these others have leaked as well? I don't know. So I don't necessarily buy into that theory, per se, and then also, I understand the church having an interest in this and wanting to get a hold of these documents so that they can then, like, kind of see, like, well, if let's see if it is true, and then go from there, right? Because, like, if, if someone had something to say about you, wouldn't you want to be one of the first to see it? Like, if it was questionable, I don't know. It doesn't seem that crazy to me. Like, no, they shouldn't suppress it if it's true. But you don't want to necessarily leave that up to, like, these third-party, like, media entities that are going to, like, then dissect it and then point all sorts of interesting or spins, stories or spins in your direction. I don't know. That's that's kind of my take so far. Not, 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 not anything too crazy. So are you one of those people that thinks that the uh, gold plates and the sword of Laban are all up in the vault in Little Cottonwood Canyon? Or I've actually said before that if the church, like, I mean, apparently it's on record that those got translated, like they're not on this earth anymore. But I could totally believe that they are still around because it doesn't matter. Like, who cares in my mind? Like, why why would it matter one way or the other? Because here's the thing, if supposedly they did exist and were never translated and the church does have them in the vault, even if they did get like stolen, for example, and were available and like, hey, these are these are the real things, people will still wouldn't believe it. Like they just say, oh, those are other forged things or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, it's still your faith that has to guide you in all this. It's not going to be anything tangible. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I agree. So that's kind of a cop-out answer, like whether or not I believe it, I don't know. I could, would it surprise me? Not at all. If it never actually got translated and that's just kind of what they said, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, but it just doesn't matter to me either way because that's not what it's based off of for me. Anyway, that was a little bit heavy to start the podcast, so let's kind of move forward. I don't know. I hope today's not, episode isn't like, oh, like heavy the whole time, but I guess we will go. I did want to share, actually... I wanted to share this. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I thought it was hilarious. You do you follow? We've kind of brought we. I brought it up another time. Do you follow the account Provo's Worst Dates? No, I've heard of it. I've seen snippets here and there, but I don't follow it. Yeah. So this one, okay. I'm reading this. I I do follow him, and I want to share this one because it's so like it just. You just look at the whole thing, and you're like, ah. Oh goodness this whole thing's so pathetic so this one goes and there's going to be some grammatical errors as there always are on this thing so i might have to it will be like some slow reading just to get through some of it but anyway this this female writes in and says once upon a time 
I got to watch a movie, and it actually has it in parentheses last night. So this happened like very, like this last week. I got to watch a movie with a boy that I broke up with three with weeks ago. So they already dated and uh, broke up. Anyway, they reconvene, watch a movie. I mean, I think that's happened to most, if not all of us. She says, we kiss the whole thing. Suddenly he turns on the lights and we talk. Kind of weird. But then he downloads Snapchat in front of me and about 50 girls' messages pop up. He responds to all of them in front of me. The scandalous pictures, the flirty texts. I was, well, confused. Next, he goes on Instagram, starts scrolling, saying, this girl is ugly. This girl is so hot. Clicks the girl's profile and zooms in on every inch of her body, commenting how men only love looks, nothing else. It is what it is. For two hours, he does this. I should date her. Look at this girl's blanks. Wow, that blank. This is my ex. So hot. It was degrading? Disgusting? She actually has question marks there. But y'all, the real kicker was as he was explaining how he takes girls on dates, manipulates them to love him, how it's all a game, he suddenly at almost 2 a.m. says, well, where's your car? It's late. Guys, I got dropped off. I told him that and he really, and he got really weird. So I was kind of joking when I said, you know, I'll just walk home. He said, okay. And I said, maybe I'll have someone get me. He sends me out the door in little shoes, leggings, and luckily my worn out sweatshirt. So I walked in a snowstorm, however many miles home. I don't know what she wanted to say there, but it wasn't a number, which is fine, but it's not fine at all. Luckily, I called on my almost dead phone, my roommate, so much, see this is what I'm talking about, it was kind of hard to say, called her, called her roommate, and her roommate answered and came and got me after I walked a good chunk. And that, y'all, is the weirdest night of my existence. I have never felt more unloved. <laughs> it's like you went to go hang out with a dude at night that you had already broken up with to watch a movie and you and from and now you never feel more unloved. I mean, at a certain point, it's like, you know what you're getting into. I mean, it's funny and it's terrible at the same time. Like you wish you wouldn't wish that upon anyone. But let's take some responsibility here that you kind of knew what you were getting into. Am I mistaken in that? Well, it sounds like we have a situation of two degenerates dating each other in, in this situation. <laughs> I mean, that's basically yeah. what it is. This guy sounds like a loser. She sounds like she either has terrible judgment or she was kind of, probably was aware of him being kind of a dirtbag all along. So I don't know if there's anything to see here other than this is just the state of our modern culture. I guess so, right? These are, uh, this is Gen Z dating each other. It's kind of funny though. Yeah. Like we're millennials and we're just growing up and we're like, God dang Gen Z. It's like classic generations just like piling on. <laughs> we have nothing better to do. So all we do is rip on the generation below us. But I'll tell you what though, legitimately Gen Z has its issues, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Not a fan over here. Not a fan of the Gen Z. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I don't know if I, I know. Well, actually, no, I know you saw I wrote a blog post last weekend. It was on Friday. It was kind of in response to some of the reactions that I saw with the the Y being lit up in rainbow. I actually what was funny about the post is that I didn't comment really at all on the actual lighting of the Y in a rainbow, um, the whole movement in and of itself or BYU's response. I didn't talk about any of that, but since we live in the world where people want to, you know, believe what they want to believe, pick apart what they want to pick apart, people focused on other aspects of what I wrote. My overall point was I was pointing out that it's interesting when some people come out and say, why could BYU be so unloving and then kind of not really show love in their own form 
after that. And that, that came in as an example in two tweets sequentially, kind of one right after the other from the same person. And that's where the whole kind of idea dawned on me where it was like, you know, you, you, you have this admonition that people or an organization or whatever should show love. Then you follow it up with a tweet that says, I can't wait to prove you guys all wrong. And it will bug me so bad when finally you all come around. And then also, just for good measure, it was never anything. It was never revelation in the first place. You just finally got a prophet that wasn't homophobic. That was the idea of the second tweet. And I was like, there's not a lot of love expressed in that tweet. So I kind of wanted to talk like if, if you're talking about people showing love, then, you know, why don't you try and set the example yourself? Because it doesn't seem very loving to say things like that to follow that up. So I was kind of saying, like, by what definition are we even talking about love anyway? Is it the person who's saying you should be loving? Because by that definition with how he acted, he wasn't being very loving in my mind. So it's contradictory to say the least. But anyway, I thought that was worth bringing up just a little bit because that was big news. I wanted to address that. And my whole, I didn't even come up with any suggestions or necessarily improvements. I was just pointing out kind of the nuance behind all this. And to top it off, just kind of give it a little preview, I am going to talk to a friend of mine who's gay, who grew up in the church and is, um, he, he grew up in the closet. He grew up in the, in Utah, um, came out of the closet. I'm not sure when we can cover that on the topic well, when I talk with him, but, um, and has kind of had an interesting experience to say the least kind of with dealing with his involvement in the church. He's not really active. I think he considers himself a member still for the most part. He is, um, he is living the gay lifestyle in the sense where he's, he's dating other guys, checking that out. He's going like having all the experiences that we all have as singles. And, um, so his, his experience is, is interesting to me and kind of how he views that. And so he's going to come on the podcast and I'm going to release that episode this Thursday of our conversation. And we actually already talked about it and, um, it's going to be interesting, but I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that that you wanted to share? Well, it does seem that, um, I guess, moving forward, we're, we're, BYU is doomed to be, come up in the news once or twice a year for this type of issue, either directly related to this or related to the honor code in, in a general sense. And <clears throat> we do have to start to ask, you know, is, you know, because first of all, I think from a, per, like from a legal perspective, I, I agree BYU should be allowed to have their autonomy to run their school the way they want to run it. I, you know, as far as my feelings on the honor code go, I could go into all of that. But at the end of the day, I don't know if I'm self-important enough to dictate how BYU runs their school. And I don't think the laws of supply and demand are pushing BYU away from the current model. I mean, there's people lining up outside the door to go to BYU under the status quo. That said, if you know, if I were the king of BYU and I got to do things the way I want to do them, and if I ran the school the way I want to run it, I I don't know if I haven't thought about it enough to say for sure if I would do this, but I would be tempted to just do away with the honor code entirely and replace it with, you know, something that's more that's reported on your own honor, so to speak, um, and maybe. You know, because we have to ask ourselves, what is the goal of the honor code? And I think there was a time back in the day when there was some utility to, I guess, protecting kids from themselves as they're growing up between the ages of 18 to 24 
And then back then, I mean, you could marry them off and then you don't have to worry about the law of chastity anymore and you're done with them. But obviously nowadays people aren't getting married at a young age anymore as much as they used to. And people are going off and they're leaving BYU without being married. And ultimately they don't have the honor code there help holding their hand to protect them from themselves anymore. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this really accomplishing by having this extra set of rules on top of the church's commandments? And, um, and so I, th- I, th- I think I would do away with it and I would, I would just keep the, I, I would allow BYU to still regulate where people live and maybe ban alcohol in those places to a degree. But I, I don't know if, if it really that makes that much sense to keep having the honor code the way we've always had it. But like I said, it's not mine to dictate that. I think BYU should be able to run their school the way they want to run it. And it's just a matter of how long can they survive the age of cancel culture under the current model. Well, as a private institution, that's an extension of the church. It's interesting how they've had to toe in it a line, supposedly, which... In, in my mind, they don't need to toe that line as much as they have already. I kind of feel like they could be a lot more uh, tyrannical if they wanted to be, and it would still be kind of within their with legal bounds, but they've already kind of folded to some societal and cultural pressure, and so now they find themselves kind of in this weird, like, nebulous-type situation where they're not totally sure exactly how far they have to go to appease society while also still maintaining their unique standing as an extension of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so that's, I think it's almost like they got themselves into hot water at some point, and now they're kind of like, well, I don't know, do we go back? I mean, that that was no more manifest than in the honor code when they kind of changed some of that wording and then came out and said, no, we actually are still about this. So we're going back on it, and then that caused an uproar. So it's just all this to say that BYU is going to have to make some very interesting and tough decisions moving forward because it kind of seems like they're at a point right now where they're, the decisions they make moving forward are going to make one side or the other very upset. I don't think they're at a position anymore where they can really be neutral. Yeah, I mean, the, the pressure is not going to go away. I mean, this is going to people are going to keep finding ways to bring BYU into the news and I think instead of framing it as folding to cultural pressure, I think they just need to maybe just do some soul searching, reevaluate what the goal is of having the honor code and the pros and cons of that and not necessarily responding to the cultural pressure, but just kind of the same way uh, President Nelson has approached his tenure as the president of the church where He's changed a whole lot of things, not necessarily because there's pressure, but because he kind of looked at the big picture, looked at what makes sense, what doesn't, and he's been very pragmatic about how he's gone about tweaking things. And I think BYU, it's probably a time they do the same thing. But I don't, yeah. I don't like that as like a response to the mob telling them what to do, but maybe just on their own initiative doing that. Yeah, it's fair. It's yeah, it's going to be inter- a lot a lot's going to happen I think in the coming years in that respect, but it kind of so that post that I wrote spurred a lot of feedback. Um and some close friends of mine reached out kind of talking about their opinions on the matter and we started talking kind of about 
what is what is kind of the purpose of all this like what when when things happen like this what are we meant to do and that's where i kind of had to go to the scriptures and that's something that i wanted to share actually because i do think this is important um it's i believe there's essentially a blueprint that tells us as members of the church and professed followers of christ and that example and everything that he said how do we stand up for what we believe in while also you know not just castigating everybody around us and there's scriptures in alma 48 and the verses are 14 to 16 where it makes some very key points about why the nephites like defended themselves against the lamanites and the points i'm going to kind of take you through this it's if it's necessary is one um if they're faithful in keeping the commandments and it according to their danger you know warn them to flee or prepare for war according to their danger and then this is what it talks about being the faith of moroni his heart did glory in that and then it says not in the shedding of blood but in doing good and preserving his people yea, and keeping the commandments of god and resisting iniquity and the reason why I'm pointing that out is because people kind of reached out and they're like, hey, I appreciate your words on that and everything. And and I was happy to kind of, you know, articulate some really important points, but more specifically kind of provide some more information and kind of perspective for people that have a harder time maybe articulating it themselves. And I do think it's important in all this, according to these scriptures, that people on like us not lose sight of what this is all about and this is what the scripture offers as a reminder is that as soon as essentially we start enjoying the fight more than we start to you know be proponents of what we believe in then i think we've kind of lost perspective and it becomes where we're just kind of fighting just because we like it and that's a problem i think that's kind of how the book of mormon ended i think the nephites started to fight back on the Lamanites because they actually enjoyed killing Lamanites. And it wasn't so much that they were fighting in the kind of the, in the same tones as the title of Liberty, defending their faith, their family and their freedom. Um, and they lost sight of all this, which is something that I think we all have to kind of pay attention to because in these verses as well, it's really talking about how you show love while also standing up for what you believe in. I believe uh, that's my at least that's my opinion and i and i wanted to kind of make that clear that that's why i want to do the things that i want to do because it's not so much that i just want to fight back and just say like you guys are all crazy because of this that or the other but more kind of like no like this is what i believe in and i'm sorry you don't believe in this but like please please don't attack me for my beliefs you know kind of just lay it out there for him i don't know maybe that sounds I don't want to sound sanctimonious by any means, but that is something that's important to me that I felt like was worth pointing out. Yeah, I mean that's that's the right perspective to have. It takes a hell of a lot of dis- discipline to uh, to approach things that way, um, especially if you you know whether it's in religion or politics. When you feel like your ideological opponents are playing dirty, or if they're using manipulative, uh, I guess approaches to winning over the masses it can be hard not to stoop to that level to fight back but yeah i think if you're you know if you're truly having a virtuous and honorable perspective then i think that's the approach you got to have yeah i think so as well uh what else do you want to talk about man what do you want to cover 
Um, so I guess one thought I had this week, um, I guess kind of going back to what I was saying about, you know, be, or I guess, uh, with the honor code and how the honor code's kind of set up to protect kids from themselves and then asking, you know, well, if you're an adult, you should not necessarily need that protection. And, um, I guess asking, you know, at what age are we really an adult? Because I think there was a time in our society where 18 was the time you're an adult, but I I feel like these days that's probably getting older and older. I think for our generation it's probably mid twenties for Gen Z, who knows what that's going to be like 30 years old. Um, But I've kind of noticed a lot of habits that people our age or even older have that don't really seem all that in line with being an actual adult. You know, the whole phrase adulting that our, our generation uses. Um, and some of those things, I just, I thought I would throw a few of these your way and see what you think about them. So, um, first of all, I, I, I was on a, I was on Cougar board the other day and someone was asking for, explain uh, Cougar board for us really quickly, by the so way. So Cougar board is just a giant online community of BYU fans. Um, there's like thousands of people on there and it's, I mean, it's primarily focused on BYU sports, but people talk about all kinds of random crap on there, the stock market and current events and politics and everything it's kind of a strange group of people um i've been permanently banned from that multiple times um some of it was my fault some of it was just the moderators on there are complete jackasses um but as it currently stands i'm actually unbanned uh, miraculously but anyway so cougar board's this giant community I, I i mostly just peruse on there occasionally i post on there for fun um, but one of the topics that came up was someone was asking for like book recommendations for audiobooks, and a bunch of people were giving all these recommendations of like Harry Potter, like that they, they liked the audiobook for Harry Potter. And I was, for me, it's like okay, I enjoyed Harry Potter when I was twelve, and I I read through book six. I think there's seven books total, right? I I read through book six, and then that's when I went on my mission, and I came back from my mission. And I had the seventh book, and um, I started reading through it. I got like two chapters in. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I reading this children's book? I'm supposed to be an adult now. I'm supposed to have graduated from this type of thing. And I ended up not reading the seventh book. And whenever I tell people that, they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, how did you not read the seventh book? And it's like, I just, I don't know. I just feel like you get to a certain age where living in someone else's fantasy just isn't that exciting anymore i don't know how you feel about that um well i so i don't i agree with you in a sense i mean it's kind of funny that you looked at your life and you were like now i'm gonna make the decision to be an adult because that's fairly arbitrary i think but that's fine too because you have to make that decision at some point or another in your life but to your point when you're saying you don't want to live in somebody else's fantasy well then i think that's a tenuous definition because I mean you watch movies right like you you have to suspend your disbelief for enjoyment purposes at some points I don't know unless everything you watch and consume is essentially nonfiction or yeah. or something in that regard I don't know movies are like a two-hour indulgence I think that's acceptable but books can be a 20 30 hour commitment that's a I mean that's a couple hours every day for weeks or a month at a time I mean that's a that's on a whole nother level there so I, so I just I guess I disagree with your definition still. I do. Like I, I disagree if that's why. Now I agree with you that 
it's important to kind of understand like what the value is that you're getting from these types of books and and whatever. I mean, I feel the same way about comic book movies essentially, like because because you're making the justification that oh, because it's less time, then you can indulge. Whereas that's not about that's not it for me. I don't think time really has much to do with it. I think it's more like what's the value you derive from that. Now I'm not going to take that away from anybody, right? I'm not going to. I'm friends. I have plenty of very close friends of people I care about that actually love comic book superhero movies. I can't stand them. I hate them. In fact, I've had to no joke force myself into theaters before just to appease friends, which kind of sounds pathetic because like, like were you scared of like losing friends? Like no, it was actually. There have been special occasions where like people are like, I really want to do this for me, like or my birthday or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'm not gonna let you down in that regard. But I sit there and I'm just bored. I'm bored as hell watching these comic book superhero movies. So for me, it's not a time thing. It's interesting more than anything that that is the type of story that they can consume to feel whatever fulfillment is they're looking for because it is not fulfilling at all to me. And that's what I question is why is that kind of content fulfilling for you? What's the release you get? I don't have an answer for that. And because I don't have an answer for that, I don't understand why it's done. It doesn't make sense to me, but it's not necessarily based on time. Yeah, that's fair enough. I I do find those superhero movies just incredibly infantilizing. And my biggest problem with them, I don't have a problem with fiction per se, but I want the fiction to be based in some kind of universe I can relate to. And when you just have some... Uh, infinitely powerful being that can just fly around the sky and solve all the problems in the universe. I just don't find it that interesting. I feel like an interesting story has to do with a protagonist that has reality-based limitations and has to work through those limitations to overcome an obstacle or a, a villain or what be it. And these superhero movies, it's just, it's, I mean, they're, they're designed, I, I, we both listen to a guy who does a podcast who makes fun of these all the time. And he makes the comparison that superhero movies were kind of made for the nine-year-old kid getting bullied at school to give him confidence to go overcome his bullies. And it's like, but we have 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. who It's still their favorite form of entertainment. And it's just kind of, I don't know, not my cup of tea. I'm not going to. I'm not going to throw everyone under the bus that listen, that watches those, but yeah, I kind of agree with you on those. Dude, what you're talking about is what I refer to as the dragon line. Now, what is the dragon line, you may ask? If the dragon line is simply this, if the movie or the story that I'm consuming or potentially going to consume has a dragon in it, I don't <laughs> consume it. Yeah, that's a good That's, 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 that's a good the dragon off. line. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's why as I, arbitrary as that may sound. Well, that's why I couldn't get into Game of Thrones. I mean, and it's, that was like the big show of the last decade that everyone loved. And I got like a season deep into that. And I'm like, but there's dragons in this. <laughs> <laughs> that just, was basically my reasoning, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't I actually didn't really entertain it to that point where I was like, I would watch this, except there are dragons. But for me, it was like I never really entertained it. Maybe because there were dragons. I don't know. I've been told time and time again that I'd actually really like it, but it just didn't seem like my cup of tea. It seemed very, it seemed a little bit contrived in like the, the adult realm where it was like, let's get as edgy as we can. And edgy's probably not even doing it justice, but like, let's really push through that boundary and, and also to boot, put it in a time where like people aren't familiar with, but I don't know. I just, it just never really appealed to me ever. And 
certainly the dragons were a component of that, but they weren't. I wouldn't even say the biggest component for me not watching that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a super harsh critic when it comes to TV shows, and it's very very difficult to get me to commit to one. I mean, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Fargo, um, that and True Detective. That pretty much is the list of what I would consider top quality TV shows, and I think everything else is garbage. So maybe I'm not the best one to ask about quality tv shows because i am pretty harsh about this stuff but uh you're certainly ready to become just like a get off my lawn curmudgeon dad like you're already there it's pretty impressive that you don't have any kids actually yeah no i, I definitely do have some of those qualities so um <laughs> Qual- is that what qualities? <laughs> i don't know um oh and then one other i guess changing the subject a little bit but kind of along the same lines of like what's appropriate for adults to do or what's the cutoff from when you're a kid to you're an adult Another thing I've noticed that's like almost out of control in the last five or 10 years is people our age, um, before they get married, before they have kids, um, having pets. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's become such a thing that you can't, you can't get on like a dating app these days without seeing like someone's pet in their bio. Like it's like pretty much like every person our age, particularly, I think women more so than men, but the people just kind of because they're not getting married at the age they used to, they kind of have to, I guess, place their paternal or maternal instincts onto something else. And so they get a pet. And, um, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I, I kind of put pets in the category of something that's like, you can, uh, you can enjoy vicariously through a kid or once you have kids to get the family dog and you can still enjoy it, but it's kind of you're doing it vicariously through a kid. The, like the same excuse you'd use to watch a Disney movie or go to Disneyland. Like you're doing it primarily because of the kid, and then you can kind of enjoy it on the side through them. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm actually really glad you brought this up because I do have some fairly strong opinions on this. Um, first off, and I don't have as much to say about this part, but this is highlighted in what to expect when no one is expecting, which is basically kind of this this uh synthesis of information that it talks about how we're not the world is not having kids anymore in the long run like i think the the projection is that we'll peak around 13 billion and then from there it'll just start going down and that there's already countries that in 40 years are gonna like be cut in half and japan is one of those apparently um so it's really interesting in that respect that there's already countries that are on the major decline. And as a world, we're going to be on a major decline at some point. But anyway, it talks about kind of how there are big neighborhoods, like on the East Coast especially, where there used to once be like baby outlets and stores where you could buy products for your children are being replaced by pet stores and things like that. So interesting um, that you bring that up. And that's certainly something that seems to be growing in trends here's here's my thoughts on that i the problem that i have because i understand when people are like like i mean i don't fully understand it but like the the inclination to say i love dogs more than humans like the premise i understand where it comes from because like your pet typically loves you unconditionally like you really don't have to work to earn its affection and i i get why that seems very appealing to people but here's the major problem I have with it. Not only is that lazy, because we actually should work to learn everybody's affection, like earn everybody's affection. Like that's 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 a major 
component to actually just living and learning and and adapting and growing and all that stuff but the other side of that to me is it seems like they don't really understand how scales work and how variances work because sure your pet is going to love you unconditionally and it will disappoint you at times but the variance of that is minimal like on the scale we're talking it's like two degrees on a scale of 10 but for a human for a child especially for a spouse for whatever that scale is not to 10 it's like almost infinite by comparison a human can disappoint you wildly right it can really really let you down and that's where that inclination comes to like well a pet would never let me down like this but at the same time it can provide you with unbelievable amounts of value that you don't even understand until you actually experience it in fact i've heard this so many times that when you have your own kids your heart opens up in places that you didn't even know were possible. And I totally believe that, which, you know, I don't have any kids, so I don't really know what that's like, but I do believe it. I believe that. In other <laughs> words, humans have this ability to expand kind of your feelings and your perception. And so to just say that without actually thinking it through and just say, like, I like animals more than humans, it's like, oh my goodness. Like, I suggest you reevaluate really where you stand on that because that seems extremely short sighted and lazy. And also, any unwillingness like it seems a very like high display of unwillingness to adapt learn and grow i guess i don't know well i wonder if the lack of kids in our generation is part of what's making people so politically active and obsessed is there because they don't have that source of meaning in their life from having a child to take care of or a family to take care of they kind of project that onto other things. And I think there's also some ignorance on the part of our generation that they look at older people with families and kids and they say, why don't you care about all these social issues and these causes? And it's like, you don't realize that once you have a family of your own, that is your cause. That is your reason for living. That like all of your resources and time and energy goes into that. And I think there's some ignorance from our generation on recognizing that and other people who aren't in their same single position yeah i definitely agree there's no question there is some ignorance in that respect but at the same time i understand where that ignorance came from and i think that's because societally we valued kind of work ethic and earning power and things like that over you know fatherhood being a good husband motherhood being a good wife you know being good fathers and mothers like i i do think that was the catalyst to that the mindset that a lot of the people in our generation are in now, which is unfortunate, right? In other words, I am kind of exonerating them to some degree from like kind of a cultural aspect that it's not necessarily their fault to some degree. It was kind of disadvantage. It was a disadvantage to them growing up because they didn't see that in their own parents. You know, maybe they were devalued by their own parents because their parents didn't exactly put them very high on the totem pole of priorities. I don't know. That's one theory. I could be wrong, but that's, I think that's possible. Yeah, I think, uh, and you know, to, to throw our generation a bone, I guess, I mean, we, we do face some unique challenges that our parents didn't face. I mean, obviously, we're paying magnitudes more for schooling and education to be able to go out and get good jobs that they didn't have to pay. And, they, and also, I feel like going to college these days doesn't give you the leg up that it used to. And so, 
Um, I, we definitely, I mean, it's not like our generation just sucks. And, and it doesn't, and also it doesn't really make that much sense just to point to generations and say they're good and this one's bad. It's like generations are just a product of the time you were born in. And it's not like if you took everyone who was born two generations ago and you put them right into the shoes of our generation, they'd be any better. It's like, you know, generations just respond to the social circumstances at hand. And this is the social circumstances that were at hand for our generation. That's why we are the way we are. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Now, to go exactly against what you said, I will say that as much as Gen Z bother, Gen Z bothers me, Sometimes I do think that boomers may have legitimately ruined this country. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, take they that for what it's worth. They raised us. They raised the you know. And so for you know, you, they got to take some responsibility, right? Exa- they exactly. raised us and took all the land that was available. Yep. No, oh, that's true. <laughs> all right, let's close it out here. What is the new BYU news that we have? I think the biggest thing, honestly, because we're gonna play Pepperdine. Um, and it's going to be exciting because this is really going to determine kind of where BYU falls in the seating for the NCAA tournament, win or lose. Like, they're in the tournament. Nobody questions that. But they could be as low as, like, a 9 or a 10 if they lost to Pepperdine. Um, but they could be as high as, like, a 5 or a 6. 5, maybe, if they beat Gonzaga um, the, on Tuesday, assuming they beat Pepperdine. So that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But even bigger than that, there are two brothers receivers in the ncaa one at the university of utah and another at usc that have officially entered the transfer portal and there are whispers of them potentially going to byu or at least being interested in byu they did grow up in utah went to high school in utah they are brothers of a former defensive back at byu kai nakua puka nakua and samson nakua are officially in the transfer portal those would be a huge get for BYU for their receiving core that would be amazing yeah and minor correction Puka I think you said he went to USC he went to Washington I didn't I didn't actually say oh that's right that's sorry I did say he went to USC my bad he went to Washington USC was a big player in his recruiting that's right he went to Washington sorry yeah yeah but it does I mean obviously nothing set in stone yet but it does feel like BYU is probably the front runner since I imagine since they're both transferring at the exact same time there's probably some collaboration that they're going to go to the same school you would think and if that's the case then BYU is probably right at the top of that list so yeah if we can pick those guys up I think uh, our prospects for having a a big time season go up quite a bit and obviously we still have some holes to fill in the offensive line and figuring out who the quarterback's going to be but I actually I feel pretty freaking optimistic about the quarterback position I know we just lost a first round draft pick maybe even the number one pick in the draft but I feel like the amount of competition going on there, I mean, you have probably two or three guys on that list that could start at multiple programs in the country. And so I think the competition will, someone will emerge and someone will be a very reliable starter. And if we got all these weapons he's throwing to, it's going to be, it's going to be a good offense. I'm pretty optimistic. So I, I actually, I actually talked with someone recently about uh, who, who played at BYU. They redshirted. Um, they were recruited by Bronco, redshirted under Kalani, got too many concussions, and then just quit eventually. And life turned out great for them. They're about to go to an elite law school. But um, we're on the same page. We believe that this is actually going to be Kalani's biggest test year coming up. Because his team isn't so terrible that it's like all odds are stacked against him. But they're also not like 
so set. Like they're losing an, a, an elite quarterback and they're going to be a lot of trials. So it kind of fits somewhere in the middle of that challenge that it will be really telling. Basically, I think, in other words, however this season shakes out is going to be the type of coach Kalani really is. If we have a good season next, this coming season, Kalani's going to be a good coach. And he is a good, like, he will have been a good coach, too. I know he's because he's been a coach for four or five years already. If he has a mediocre season, he's a mediocre coach. If he has a bad season, he's a bad coach. I think this is the season where we can actually gauge that personally. Yeah, and I, I mean, what what are your expectations as far as, I mean, obviously we don't know necessarily how good the teams we're going to play are, but um, looking at the schedule with seven Power 5 teams, only one of them is like a true elite team in USC. The rest are like average to good, um, but nothing incredibly special on there. And then you have some good G5 teams. So what's the record you're shooting for to like be a benchmark for this was this was a successful season if you had to say it right now? Four games are a gimme. There's no question about that. He's winning at least four games. Um, the benchmark for success, I would say, like, Kalani is probably a pretty good coach. I'd say at least nine wins for this season. Because it's, it's not a nothing schedule, I don't think. Like, yeah. it's going to be challenging. If he gets nine wins, and I would even probably – include the bowl game there i mean there's a lot of variables and we can speculate all day but i think like because maybe maybe our defense isn't going to be that great like i don't know like who it's still a lot that has to shake out but that's kind of my arbitrary hypothesis about nine wins and and that's a benchmark for like kalani like all right you know what maybe this guy does have some chops i mean that that's that's high but i, I mean that's fair i i, I mean this is basically a pack 12 schedule we're playing five pack 12 teams and then a couple other uh, power fives and then a G like it's basically the exact same schedule we'd play in the pack 12. So nine wins is, I would say it's a tad high. I would say eight would be my bar for this schedule, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the same ballpark there. Anything more than nine would be amazing. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. It's, it's all going to come down to how the quarterback play is in my opinion. I think everything else will sort itself out, but at BYU, the, the common trend is if you have a, really good quarterback your team's gonna be good yeah that's very very true with that chaser let's go ahead and close it out you got anything else you want to share um i've got three dollars and 22 cents riding on byu winning the wcc tournament so let's see what happens How does that pay out if you win that's eh, like 20 bucks something like that nice all right man you go buy yourself a nice chick-fil-a meal with that money would you for us maybe push it up to $15 get one of those frosted lemonades just go go to town BYU beats Gonzaga that's right don't hold back <laughs> alright as always Chase thank you for your time it's always much appreciated alright see you man